it's easy to have a very diminished understanding of what it means to be a Christian. I mean, we have kind of dumbed this down. I said it before, but just it's just all about me and getting my ticket punched to heaven or getting me my escape pass from hell or getting me the best life possible by trying to finagle God into blessing my life and say, well, God does love us and he does want to bless us in his way and his time. But there's a cross on the way. That is the voice of Gary David Stratton. Dean and Professor of Spiritual Formation and Cultural Leadership, Johnson University. He joins me today, continuing the conversation of spiritual formation and endurance. You are listening to the podcast with John C. Lemon. Dr. Stratton, welcome. Thank you so much. When last here, you presented in historical reference to tertiary education and the traditional expectation of the master-apprentice relationship. You also discussed the concept of the great parentheses to highlight the life of Jesus as an educator. Well, that's rooted in this idea that, not intentionally, but the church in the West and actually somewhat in the East has unintentionally avoided making the life, death, well, making the life and teachings of Jesus central to what it means to follow Christ. When you take uh, conceptions of the faith that were done very early in the history of the church, they were so concerned about protecting us from heresy, they kind of threw out the baby with the bathwater. So the great parentheses would be an example of, in the Apostles' Creed, we go right from, I believe in Jesus, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, and then jumps right to suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. And the parentheses, wait a minute, what happened between the time that he was born and he suffered under Pontius Pilate? You know, in John, that maybe is only half, I don't know, of the, uh, of the gospel, but the rest of it, it's the vast majority of the gospel. And we don't, we tend to develop our Christianity more on the early church or on Paul or on John than we do actually on the life and teachings of Jesus, and we miss the richness. And then that leads us to the whole idea of following as a student. We know that word today as disciple. What was the significance of following as a student first prior to the actual conversion experience? Well, it's easy to miss the fact because we read back into things, all the things that we know about Jesus but there are things the disciples did not know about Jesus. He didn't know he was the son of God, for instance. They weren't even ex completely sure he was Messiah initially. They knew he was a rabbi. They knew that he was the greatest rabbi in Israel. They had hopes that this rabbi was actually Messiah, the Christ. But he used the standard methods of his day of uh, tertiary or third-level education, which is what we'd call college today. So you could argue that Jesus started a college before he started the church, long before he started the church. The church is only mentioned two times in all the Gospels, but being a disciple, being a student, being a follower of Christ is the center of what it means to be. And he gradually takes them from a very traditional understanding of what it means to follow a rabbi, and because he's no traditional rabbi, 
gradually brings them into a much deeper understanding of what it means. But we cannot afford to miss those uh, three and a half years of ministry and just focus on the one week that he suffered. Uh, It wasn't even the whole week. And then, praise God, rose from the dead. You mentioned Peter's salvation experience when Peter came to the revelation by the assist of the Holy Spirit, and he looks at the rabbi, Jesus, and says, thou art the Messiah. Right. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood hasn't revealed You didn't figure this out in your own head. It wasn't just an educational, intellectual decision. This is something that was revealed to you by my Father in heaven. And it puts a transformational, revelational impact into Jesus' approach to education that's very different than you would expect in other forms of education. But it is first and foremost an educational process. And of course, one more point to recap, you discussed the eight essentials of discipleship. Yeah, and I'm not saying they're the eight, but they're they are eight that are essential to following Jesus and I developed these over decades of just trying to distill down all the 267 times in the New Testament the word disciple is used. You know, what does it mean? And inevitably, it means that someone who starts with and it spells out the word disciple, so I'm being a good preacher here but with eight points it's a bad sermon. But, I mean, it starts with a desire that I follow Christ because I want to follow Christ. But normally it's a self-centered desire. <laughs> it's something, Jesus has something I want. I want him to be a king and beat up the Romans, or I want to sit at his right hand, or I want I want to get a healing. And Jesus, it's okay to start that way, but then you come under I instruction. You start learning his kingdom, his, of the, his good news of the kingdom, his laying down, setting aside your agenda, what he's going to try to do. And that leads you to S, a point of sacrifice, who says, wait a minute, what I originally originally desired to seek Jesus for, and what he's actually calling me to are crossing purposes, that he starts telling us that we need to take up our cross and follow him, that we need to count the cost. And that leads to see either a point of confirmation where we actually continue to follow him, or like John 6, where it says many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him because they didn't understand what he meant when he said, you need to drink my blood and and eat my flesh. Now, obviously, it was he wasn't meaning it literally, but he was saying something that kind of offended their minds to reveal where their hearts were at. And that only happens because of I, intimacy, because this work of the Holy Spirit, this what Jonathan Edwards called a divine and supernatural light, something that only the Holy Spirit can reveal to us that brings us to a point of faith. And that intimacy leads, releases a new power in our life. That would be the P, where we can bear much fruit. And that the primary fruit that he bears in us is the fruit of love, the love of loving God with heart, soul, mind, and strength, loving neighbors, ourselves, loving one another as he loved us. And then the E blessing is endurance, that he's with us to the very end. He will endure with us, but will we endure in this process? Because there's many opportunities to turn back. And we note that Judas did turn back. Uh, and even though Peter blew it in the end, he did not turn back. When the rabbi is around, we can see him. We're eating dinner, lunch, we're traveling with him, we're serving alongside him. He's real, he's tangible. What happens when rabbi's not around? What happens when our emotions are maybe not as high as they once were? Well, and you know, that's where this view of discipleship as a process probably does a lot of work to help us because we have a real tendency to say, if I'm feeling good about my faith and I'm feeling close to Jesus, then that is the pinnacle of my faith. And that actually doesn't seem to be the case, that Jesus is trying to build in us a dependence upon him and a connection to him that goes beyond a bribery of just, you follow me and I'll give you good things. Um, 
that in the book of Mark, it almost reads like a, a journey up and a journey down. Everything is follow me and all these great things are coming. And then once they figure out you are the Christ, the son of the living God, he says, from that moment, he began teaching them he must go to Jerusalem and suffer and die. And then tells them, if you're going to follow me, you got to take up your own cross. So it is painful to take up your own cross. It is what we are addicted to. The reason we first started following Jesus was to, to be happy. That was one, a big one for me or to be successful, that was a big one for me, then it's a gift from Jesus to say, okay, I'm going to put you through a season where that isn't so happy, and maybe you aren't so successful. Or those that are looking for, uh, Peter was looking for glory, apparently, to kind of sit, and John and James, to sit at the right hand of Jesus uh, in his kingdom, said, no, you're going to sit on on the side and serve for a while. And it's in those times of, well, what the spiritual writers call a dark night of the soul, mm-hmm. that our faith really becomes genuine. That's where we actually experience the true intimacy of the Lord that's not dependent upon feelings, where we begin to uh, encounter God's love at much deeper levels than just the level of romance, and not just the level of the honeymoon. There's a much, much deeper level of love. And that's what he wants to bring. I call it the deep blue ocean of his love, that where where John says, we love because he first loved us when he experiences love, when we know his love. That's what Paul's constantly praying for his, his disciples, that they would know by the Holy Spirit the love of God. When they truly know it, we begin to have this real power and fruitfulness re- released in our life that enables us to be able to endure. So there's something beyond the honeymoon. Yeah, I, there's this great, if you've ever read the Screw Tape Letters by uh, C.S. Lewis, it's a a senior devil that's writing to a junior devil to tell him how to tempt this guy who becomes a Christian. Uh, and the guy, the junior devil's all excited because the faith of the of the new convert is waning. It's not as emotional. Things aren't as exciting. He writes back to him and says, oh, you idiot. Don't they teach anything in the devil training college anymore? This is This is such an incredibly dangerous time for us. This is where real faith is made. And at the very end of that letter, I think I had it memorized word for word. He says, uh, believe me, Wormwood, Wormwood's the junior tempter, believe me, Wormwood, our cause, meaning Satan's cause, is never more in danger than when the believer looks roundabout upon a world from which every trace of God seems to have vanished and Mm -hmm. cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But still obeys. That's what you see again and again. Jesus is willing to push people to the breaking point and even past the breaking point in order to make them the kind of people that have encountered his love and can radically give their lives away in sacrificial service to the best interests of others. I mean, that's what Jesus' life is all about. And that's the pinnacle of being a Christian, not getting your ticket punched to heaven. That's good and that's important, but becoming like Christ with the life of Christ in us enabling us to live lives of sacrificial service as in obedience to his father as he did. Luke chapter 8 verses 4 through 15. For those who are not familiar with the passage, it talks about four different heart attitudes. The first heart attitude was someone who hears the message, hears the good news, but they don't really believe. Well, I think what Jesus is trying to get at is it's the same gospel. It's the same word. It's the same teachings. It's how it's received in the hearts of someone is how it determines whether it's genuine or not. I'm going to argue, and there's, you know, different viewpoints on this, that I think Jesus is trying to make the point that only one of these soils represents genuine faith. 
that the others, they might grow eventually into genuine faith. But he's calling, he's kind of calling people into repentance who have these other soils. So one of them is the soil that just, it just bounces off. I, I call it hard soil because it's the hard, in some one of the uh, gospels, it talks about being the path that's been hard trod down. Some of our hearts are so hard that when we hear a word of encouragement from the Lord, some of us have been beaten down by the world. Some of us have been so in, infused with uh, anti-supernatural philosophies that when we actually hear the reality that there could truly be a God who loves and forgives us, it just bounces off and we literally don't even consider it. The second heart attitude, the good news is heard, but there are no roots. It's being a shallow person. That's being a, having a shallow soil that... We don't take it. We don't go deep. There's things in our, you know, I don't think Jesus is trying to get specific about what it is, but there's something in our heart that enables us that when things get hard, when testing comes, when the feelings aren't there, when it costs us something to follow Jesus, we wither and don't follow through. That term shallow, what does that mean? That is a great question. I think shallow can mean a lot of different things. People who spend a lot of time studying kind of the interior of the soul, uh, the spiritual direction movement for you know thousands of years did nothing but kind of help people try to think through what our inner life looks like. Say that there's certain levels of awareness that we have and that most people just walk away most of the day and around most of the day just in ordinary awareness. It just, most of our life is just stimulus response. We're kind of rooted into a story that we're living in, a worldview that's part of us, a probability structure. And anybody watched us in any given moment could probably predict 90% of the time exactly what we're going to do next. It's possible there's a deeper level of awareness where we actually fall into a self-awareness. We become aware of the person that's making these decisions. It's thinking about our thinking. That self-awareness enables us to become more aware of others and what other ones are thinking. When I'm in a conversation, I'm not just thinking about what I'm going to say next. I'm actually really genuinely engaging with the other person because I'm self-aware. That's one kind of depth. But the, a deeper kind of depth would be spiritual depth. It's someone who's in touch with the fact that there are uh, absolutes in the world in the sense that things that you can't touch, taste, see, feel, measure are the realest things, love and justice and truth our connectedness to one another, that what Christians would call the image of God and seeing that in others, that's a spiritual depth that someone can grow into, but most people don't. And of course, even deeper than that is a true divine awareness where we actually become aware of the life and the voice and the teachings of God in our own life. And self-awareness is huge right now. There's a lot of books and a lot of bookstores on a lot of shelves talking about the importance of self-awareness from personal development to business development to corporate leadership, we come to an understanding that the idea of self-awareness is not new and we don't get away from certain truths. But let me say one more thing about okay. that, you know, on that point, that it's been independently discovered in many different traditions. I can find quotes from Bernard of Clairvaux, from St. Augustine, from Calvin, Teresa of Avila, that what's become known as the doctrine of double knowledge. And what that simply means is that I can't know myself any better than I know God. But conversely, I can't know God any better than I know myself. As I grow in my own self-awareness, I also grow in God awareness. As I grow in God awareness, I also grow in self-awareness. And those things circle all the way down. It's an incredibly important element of Christianity that we kind of miss well, if I just gain all the information I can about God and never actually allow that information about God to search me, and I actually can't even come to a knowledge of God, to an experience of God, 
I'll just have an experience of information which will still just be me. Very important. I'm glad that you uh, that you shared that. Thorns are symbolic. The message of the good news is choked out of a person. Uh, explain that. Well, anybody who's ever gardened in the South knows exactly what weeds choking out your garden means. I mean, they just <laughs> come in wave after wave after wave. And so all, Jesus' audience, you know, they were very agricultural people. They knew what it was like to have this. The weeds that came in the spring were different than the ones that came in the summer and different than the ones that came in the fall. But he specifically mentions three things, that they're worries, riches, and pleasures. And this is really getting back to that key element of discipleship, of that place of sacrifice. We desire Jesus for something, and there's nothing. People start following Jesus for a thousand reasons, and that's okay. They come under his instruction, but then they come to the point where his instruction being said, no, it's all about, it's about me and not about you. It's my kingdom is, is about me being king, not you. And uh, it's about repenting really just means changing your mind and setting aside your agenda and taking up Jesus' agenda. And what keeps us from doing that is worries and riches and pleasures. I mean, this parable, uh, not the parable, the story of the rich young ruler who asked Jesus, what can I do to inherit eternal life. He says, well, just keep the law and you'll be fine. And he says, well, I did all that. And, he says, and Jesus looks at him and says, okay, this hasn't gone deep. This, you're not a deep person yet. So I'm going to tell you, just go sell all your possessions and give them to the poor and come follow me and we'll be fine. And it says, and Jesus said he, he did it out of love. It literally says, Jesus said he loved him before, as he said, this it was an act of love. And then the young man's face fell and he went away. It says, because he had great riches. And so it is when something entangles our, we think we want Jesus, but in truth, we wanted something Jesus could provide for us. Mm. And when it becomes obvious that uh, Jesus is not going to play by our game, he's not going to be the idol that I make little sacrifices to, and then he gives me what I want. That's when people turn back. And that entanglement is what causes the choking. And it's very individualized. I mean, it's not, I mean, Jesus only asked one person to go sell everything they had. He knew wow. that's what that one young man needed. I don't think that's a universal principle, but he looks at each one of our lives and says, this is the one thing you need to deal with. I was counseling a young man one day after actually a Billy Graham crusade. And uh, as we were praying for him, I just kept thinking over and over again about baseball cards. And I thought, oh Lord, if this isn't of you, I'm going to look so dumb. And I just looked at him and said, Tim, you're going to think I'm crazy, but what keeps coming to my mind is baseball cards. So, if the Lord asks you to, would you be willing to give up baseball card of Jesus? I thought he was going to go, at least we were at Angel Stadium, but he looked at me, his face fell and he went, baseball cards are everything to me. Right. That's the only way I get my dad to pay attention. My whole room is just thousands and thousands of dollars and work in, in baseball, but they're taking over my whole life. And I said, well, I am not telling you to follow Jesus. You have to give up your baseball cards. I'm just telling you, I think Jesus is telling that could entangle you. And, uh, he went and talked to his youth pastor and found a better use for those baseball cards and a better use for his time and his life. But I've never in my entire life heard of anybody else that Jesus wanted him to look at baseball cards. But everybody has that thing that could and can entangle us. We can make a false doctrine out of things. As you just clarified, it was unique to that person's situation that we see in the gospel text. So thank you for pointing that out. Now, in fairness, he did say it's harder for a rich man to get to, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to get into heaven. So, I mean, riches are, I mean, as he said, riches, pleasure, what we find pleasurable, what worries us, those are the things that are most likely. But those all go back to what are the things we desire. It all is back to those initial desires that we started following Jesus with. Are they going to be discipled into following him for the right reason? 
And then we come to the fourth heart attitude, the good news, the message is received and this last individual bears good fruit. Yeah, and that is the bottom line, is it's, it's the bearing of fruit. I think Jesus is not saying there's the, the bad Christian, the sort of good Christian, the better Christian, and the best Christian. I think there's, there's one of these soils that represents what it means to genuinely follow Christ, to endure as a believer. As a matter of fact, it says persevering. That's the exact another way of saying enduring uh, when it's talking about this. I believe it's Mark that talks about this person's bearing 30, 60, 100 fold of fruit. That's the kind of life he wants us to have. He said that I'm the vine, you're the branches, you cling to me, you're going to bear much fruit, fruit that will last. And he wants that fruit of love, uh, that fruit of having absorbed the teaching of Jesus, having encountered his love, having become a person of other-centered loving service like he did. That's exactly what Jesus is striving for. And that's what we're all striving for. It's easy to have a very diminished understanding of what it means to be a Christian. I mean, we have kind of dumbed this down. I said it before, but just it's just all about me and getting my ticket punched to heaven or getting me my escape pass from hell or getting me the best life possible, like trying to finagle God into blessing my life and say, well, God does love us and he does want to bless us in his way in his time. But there's a cross on the way to that blessing. There's a cross on the way to that resurrection. And it's the old self of ours that needs to die in that journey. A lot of this information can be found in your upcoming book, A New Kind of College, Following Jesus as a Student. Well, I actually make a publisher's decision this week. But yeah, it's coming along well. Very excited about it. It's not about the individual. That could be a tough message to swallow in 2020. There's something about being a Christian in a culture where there's, there's advantages to being a Christian, where we can make use of worldly power and worldly political power. I'm grateful that I live in a country with freedom of speech and freedom of religion. It's really easy to turn Christianity to something very different than the one that Jesus lived and the one that he taught. I was really sobered. It was uh, five years ago now, but I had an opportunity to spend a few days with leaders from three of the largest church house church networks in China. It was mind-boggling. I'd, the experiencing something that looks an awful lot more like the Book of Acts than anything I've ever seen in the U.S. But at the end, I asked them, what would you like me to pray for you? I'll promise the rest of my life, every day, I will pray for one thing. What's the one thing you want me to pray? And they kind of looked at each other and finally the senior guy said, would you pray for us that our government would not accept Christianity and make it legal? I was like, what? (laughs) He said, said, no, because then there would be extrinsic rewards for following Jesus and we'd become a weak discipleship-less church like the West. I I was so sobered. I mean, I don't see anybody in America praying, bring on the persecution. I don't, I'm not sure, sure we should pray for that. But, but it's a very different thing than we've just kind of taken the American dream and stuck Jesus on it and then thought, well, Jesus is there to serve the American dream. And that is not the case. That is a very sobering thought. We share the same concerns that perhaps we're missing the mark of what it actually means to follow Christ. Dr. Stratton, thank you so much for dropping by. It's been a real joy, John. Thank you so much. Gary David Stratton, Dean and Professor of Spiritual Formation and Cultural Leadership, Johnson University. For additional resources from Dr. Stratton, visit GaryDavidStratton.com. 
That's our podcast for today. I'm John C. Lemon. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next time. Thank you.